We all have a story to tell, a story of faith that can change the lives of others. Hi, I'm Terry Squires. Join me and my friends each week in the heart of Nashville as they share their stories of faith that will inspire your life. This is today's Nashville. This is faith. When my faith is shaken, I will remember your words written on the tablet of my heart. In them, I will find your comfort and home. Mega hit songwriter, performer, and 2020 Songwriter Hall of Fame nominee, Kent Blasey is truly one of the most sought-after country music writers of all times. Raised in Lexington, Kentucky, he made his way to Nashville when a friend encouraged him to reach for his dream. Little did he know that his songs performed by such talents like Garth Brooks, Diamond Reel, Patti Loveless, and many more would touch lives around the world with number one hits such as If Tomorrow Never Comes. Not knowing that many years later, that song that was sung by Garth would be meant for him and his faith when he lost his wife to cancer. This is his story of unshakable faith. This is Today's Nashville. Kent, thank you so much for inviting me into your beautiful home. You have quite a view here in Nashville. I do. I lived on another street down the road, and I didn't realize there was anything up here. And it came up for sale, and I was like, I believe this could be a creative place. So did you build it, or did you buy it? Or? It was built uh, in 1965 by a bachelor, and... Uh, Another neighbor on the street figured out how to have houses up here, and so he had all his friends buy houses. So there was like six of them that all lived together up here. Well, it is gorgeous. <laughs> I bet it inspires you a lot. You know, I, I read uh, your bio, and you are an amazing songwriter. Thank you. And you've just been nominated as uh, the songwriter in 2020 for the Hall of Fame? Correct. So congratulations for that. Thank you. It's uh, amazing. And there's going to be a double ceremony for last year because of COVID and this year, uh, November 1st. So, Well, take me back and tell me where it all started. And let's talk about songwriting because we talked earlier. And, you know, a lot of people think that most of the music artists, they write their own songs and, and produce them. But it really doesn't work that way, does it? Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, but Nashville is known as the songwriter community around the world, and there's more artists that record outside material here than anywhere else. Most of the pop people write their own songs, and it's getting that way more in country, but uh, it's still a great song will find its way to an artist, and that's what it's always about. Take me through your journey. You were born in... I was born in Woodstock, New York, before it was Woodstock, New York. But the great thing about that was it was an artistic community already. Um, it had the Hudson Valley painters kind of came from there. Uh, artists and actors would come up from New York City to do the playhouse there. And so as a little kid, I would go to somebody's house and they'd be working on a huge painting. and. They'd say, well, this is something I'm trying to finish, or I'd meet a uh, 
author and he'd say, this is a book I wrote, let me autograph it for you. And to me, that's where the first inspiration came from of, man, these people are doing what they love and they're making a living. And my dad worked for IBM and he always told me, go do what you love, don't do what I had to do. And uh, so that, those two things together kind of set the seed that you could be creative and make a living at it. And then we moved to Lexington, Kentucky, because IBM used to stand for I've Been Moved. And so we moved down to the southern city from New York, and that was a big change. But that way I kind of started hearing country music and bluegrass music and all that kind of thing that I probably wouldn't have heard up there. And so I'm a melding pot of what I learned up there and what I learned in Kentucky. And um, I ended up getting a guitar. I had already been writing poetry and had uh, some stuff published like in high school yearbooks and whatever else it was. And so the minute I got a guitar, it's like, well, okay, I'm gonna start putting my own words to music. Mm -hmm. And uh, just started and kept going. And um, Kentucky was not too far away from Nashville, so I would come down here and pitch my songs and through these little things, I call them God winks, I guess, where one little thing leads to another little thing that leads to another little thing. And uh, so I just had different people telling me I needed to move to Nashville, Tennessee. So when did you get to Nashville? 1980. 1980. And like everybody else, like we were talking about, no money in your pocket, just a lot of big dreams. And you get here and you kind of start trying to find your way. And um, Is that what happened to you? That's what happened to me. And I knew two people when I moved to town. One was in the music business and one wasn't. And um, I started knocking on doors and trying to meet people. And I met a guy who uh, needed a tape copy guy. And back then, it was all reel to reel. So the tape copy person had to splice the tapes of the songs that they were going to pitch to the artist. So that's what I did. And then he found out I played guitar. And so he started using me on recording sessions, and then he said, well, maybe we ought to write a song together. So we started writing songs together, and he and I had my first top five record with a song called Hitter for a Heartache, and um, it kind of took off from there. Wow. And so what happened after that? It was one of those things that, so I came to town, and I told my wife, it's probably going to take four years. It's kind of like going to college. You're going to have to meet people. You're going to have to build up uh, your resume. And so I got lucky, and in two years, I had a top five record with Hit It for a Heartache. And about the same time, I got six or seven other songs recorded, like in a two-week period. And I thought, this is really easy. Why didn't I come earlier? But then I kind of went through a spell where country music was going through this switch from urban cowboy to the Randy Travis country, Alabama. And so things were changing. And so I was writing for some different companies, getting cuts, but not big singles or anything. So I started a recording studio because I could play a lot of instruments. And so I started doing demos for other writers and doing my own demos. And that's how I started meeting all these people that would become famous artists because they all wanted to sing demos because in Nashville back in the 80s it wasn't there wasn't any uh, Instagrams and Facebooks and all the things that artists have to do these days it was just kind of word of mouth and so 
in my demo studio, I was using people like Billy Dean and Faith Hill and Trisha Yearwood and Martina McBride, and none of them could get record deals. That's amazing. And so that's how I met Garth, because he was cleaning churches and selling boots, and he thought, well, maybe I could make more money singing demos than cleaning churches and selling boots. And so he came over and he uh, played me a cassette. You don't remember cassettes. But, I do remember cassettes. <laughs> uh, and I said, yeah, I'll start using you on some demos. And so that's how we met. We became friends. And um, at the time, you know, he, he didn't have a record deal. He didn't have really anything going on. But um, when he was leaving that very first day, his manager who came with him, Bob Doyle, said, well, Garth writes a little bit too. So we set up a time to write, and we wrote the first song together was If Tomorrow Never Comes. And we pitched it around town for about a year, and we pitched Garth around town for about a year, and people said, nobody's gonna sign a guy named Garth. You know, can you hear a DJ saying, that's Garth? No, he's not gonna get a record deal. Nobody wanted our song. And so one night, he got to sing one song at the Bluebird Cafe. Somebody from Capitol Records was in the audience to hear somebody else, and when they heard Garth do that song, they said, I know we passed on you for the third time this week, but maybe we missed something, come back in. So he got his record deal, and uh, If Tomorrow Never Comes ended up being his second single and his first number one. So that's the magic and miracles of Nashville. And I've seen it so many times with so many people. And there's no guarantee just because you're amazing as a singer or a songwriter that anything's gonna happen. It takes a whole lot of other variables to go into it, so it's a, an interesting business. Kent, I love the song, If Tomorrow Never Comes. Would you play a little bit for me? I'd be glad to. I'll do a little bit of the chorus and the tag. How's that? If tomorrow never comes I wish you know how much I loved her did a try in every way to show her every day that she's my only one. And if my time on earth were through and she must face this world without me, is the love I gave her in the past gonna be enough to last? If tomorrow never comes So tell that someone that you love Just what you're thinking of If tomorrow never comes It's beautiful. Thank you. I have to ask you, what inspires you and how do you sit down and, and write these beautiful songs? Well, I have to give a lot of the credit to Garth because when I met him, I always joke after that first day we wrote, I thought, this guy's 25 going on 50. He just had a maturity about him and an old soul thing about him. But it was his idea. He came in with this idea. And when we get together to Na in Nashville to write, it's like if you and I were going to write a song, I would try to have some ideas ready for when you came in and hopefully you would have some ideas. And between the two of us, we'd come up with an idea that we like and write a song. 
So the day that Garth came in, I was sitting on the couch, and I didn't know him. I didn't know who he was, whatever. He had just played me a tape a few months before. And um, he came in, and at the time, he was wearing these big, long leather dusters and a big cowboy hat and big cowboy boots. And he looked like he was eight feet tall. And so I was sitting in the couch. He was standing up above me, and he says, I got this song I've run by 25 writers, and nobody likes it. And I kind of looked up at him and said, gee, thanks. <laughs> and he kind of got a little testy, you know. And, and so he said, well, don't you want to hear the song? And I said, well, yeah, play me what you got. And so he played me what he had. And he said, what's wrong with it? And I said, well, you're killing off the star in the first line of the song. And it's kind of like killing off the star of the movie in the first three minutes. There's really nowhere to go. And he said, well, what would you do? And so I told him. And he says I spit the whole thing out which may be true because I had the lyric out the other day because somebody wanted to take a picture of it. And he wrote the whole first verse of the song down on the bottom of the lyric. And then I wrote the chorus and the second verse on the top. And he's never written down another lyric since we've ever written together. So I know it must be true. But um, we wrote it for our wives, you know, um, just kind of saying how we felt about them. We thought we had a great song at the end of the day, and Garth went up to my studio and he did a guitar vocal, which Garth and a guitar can't be too bad. And uh, like I said, we pitched it around town and nobody was really interested in the song. And so we were getting ready to rewrite the song and because uh, we thought there must be something wrong with it if nobody's recording it. And that's when that little miracle of the bluebird happened where he got to go play that song the same week we were going to rewrite it, and it Magic. changed everything. Yeah, amazing. Now, you worked with his wife, too, Trisha. Yes, I did. You um, have a story about that. Well, she, I had been using her as a demo singer for a long time, and she was my favorite demo singer. She could sing anything. And so when I started getting Garth to sing demos, I told him, I got this girl you need to hear. He's like, oh, I got a girl I use. I'm not interested. And uh, I kept on him about six months. You need to hear this girl. No, I don't want to hear her. And he's real stubborn. I'm real stubborn. So I wrote a duet where they had to come in and sing on the same microphone at the same time. And the minute they started singing, they could feel the magic, you know. And so Garth had just gotten his record deal, and he said, well, what do you have going on? She's like, I got nothing going on. I'm singing demos. I'm working at uh, a record label, and I'm working at Country Music Hall of Fame. And he said, well, when I get my record deal and get it going, I'm going to help you get a record deal. I'll get you out on the road. And that's what ended up happening. I just never dreamed they'd get married. I just wanted them to sing together. you know. And I still, every time I go to a show or hear them sing together, just it's that same feeling of being in that room that first time. Did they know that you had... No. Playing this? I don't think so. Did you ever tell them? I think they figured it out. <laughs> and look <laughs> what happened. Because they talk about it now, you know, that, well, he got us together. And, but, you know, my intention was just to have them sing together because they're two, my two favorite singers in the world. And I thought, these two guys need to meet each other. Who else do you love to write songs with? Oh, man, there's so many talented people here in Nashville. Um, Corey Batten, who you guys met when you came in, I met him when he had first come to town, and I had a publishing company, and he, uh, he needed a publishing deal. And so I signed him, and he's become like a second son to me. We write every Thursday when we're in town, and uh, we've been doing it for 20 years, which is real unusual in this town. Usually you're 
forever changing writing partners trying to find that combination that works, you know, and so it's really cool that we have this camaraderie. I'm writing with two of my other favorite people this tomorrow, Bryce Long and Marv Green. Uh, Marv wrote Amazed for Lone Star, which was song of the year, and then I think kind of considered the top country song of the 1990s. And so there's so many great writers and they all bring a different thing to the writing appointment, you know. And um, I've been so blessed over the last 40 years in Nashville just to be able to work with so many different writers and so many talented writers and write so many varied songs because of it. This last year was very challenging. Mm -hmm. Was it challenging for you as a songwriter? Well, it was challenging because I really like co-writing, but also I love writing by myself. So what ended up happening was you couldn't write with anybody. I didn't really like Zoom. It didn't have the energy of having somebody in a room, like you know, having you here and seeing your facial expressions and your body language compared to if you were doing a Zoom with me is a totally different thing. So I just started writing a lot of songs by myself and I ended up doing two records. And uh, if anybody still has a CD player who's here, I can give them copies I of do. it. But uh, most people don't, but uh, it was fun. And, and the cool thing was because there were no artists going out on the road, all the great musicians were here in town. So I got to have John Parties bass player and drummer on the sessions when we went in and recorded and it was just amazing what these guys brought to these things. We recorded I think 13 songs in one day because everybody was so fired up and pent up because they hadn't been in the studio and and uh, they all wanted to play and they were so excited that we just were knocking them out and it was just I love having everybody in the room playing at the same time. I don't like it where somebody sends one part in and sends another. And there, it just creates a magic that's not there any other way. And uh, the funny thing was we recorded it at Sound Emporium and they were really strict on everything. You had to wear a mask, you had to clean your hands all the time, stay six feet apart. So I almost called the album Six Masked Men. but. I called it authentic instead, but uh, I'll get you guys copies later okay. on. But that was the thing that got me through it, was aiming to do some records and writing songs by myself. It gave me a, a time frame of where I wasn't really dwelling all the, on all the bad stuff that seemed to be going on in the world. I was still creating and pushing forward. Can't your song, If Tomorrow Never Comes, must have hit home pretty hard several years ago, and God took you through another journey um, when your wife was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that time and your faith and how God pulled you through that. I don't know exactly how to put this, but we both have a lot of faith, and we really approached her death differently than a lot of people did. A lot of people would come to the house and go, it's so peaceful here. but. Um, I think it was because we knew, you know, there's something more out there. There's, there's a way bigger world waiting, and, uh, and that made it easier. You know, there was no fear involved, uh, no anger. It was pretty amazing, and um, it was funny that, you know, If Tomorrow Never Comes kind of predicted, and I've had other songs that do that. It's kind of wild sometimes. Well, I wrote that song 10 years ago, but it just now happened, and it's kind of... Spooky in a way, but kind of. Well, that's cool what in a I way. thought when I learned more about 
your past and your, your history and your songs, and I thought, wow, it must have just been, you know, God when you wrote that song and then, you know, you lost your wife. Yeah, it's like the inspiration that flows through all the time is what gets me through everything, you know. It's like songwriting is my outlet to tell people what my faith is, and my target has always been to write songs that uplift people and make them appreciate what they have, be in gratitude for the life they have. And so that's been my target from the minute I started writing songs, is to, to reach people and make them really appreciate this beautiful life that we have and this beautiful world that we have. If a songwriter is listening right now, what would you say to them about songwriting, getting into this career? Well, the big thing that um, I would say is be yourself, because nobody else can be you. And so much of the time when you come to this town, they say, well, you have to kind of write like this, or you have to be like this. And um, I've seen Corey go through it, you know, where he's the most pian amazing piano player and guitar player, but we've gone through this phase of bro country, and he was trying to write bro country, and he's not a bro country writer, and all the time I'd be saying, be yourself, just be yourself. Nobody can do what you do. I mean, when you come to town, I went through the same thing. You want to learn from everybody you can, and everybody's got a different way of approaching writing and approaching how they uh, play guitar and sing and all that, but if you just keep being yourself, what made you come to town to begin with is who you are. And if you lose that, then you're like everybody else. So what's going to make you stand out from everybody else is what's the most important thing. Kent, what is God doing uh, and where is he taking you? You've got a busy schedule ahead of you. You're writing, you're recording, you're performing. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm ready. Wherever, wherever he's ready to go, I'm ready to go with him. You know, it's like I've got a great show I'm doing in uh, Santa Fe. Week after next, I got to open up the Bluebird opening back up last week and the Country Music Hall of Fame the week before. And what's so exciting to me is people have missed live music so much. Oh, yeah. um, at the Country Music Hall of Fame, uh, people were crying, people were laughing, and I said, you guys gotta quit crying or I'll start <laughs> crying while I'm singing, you know, because it's an emotional give and take just like us today. And it just shows the power of music and what it can do to heal people, help people, and that's what it's all about to me. Well, you are an amazing artist, music writer. So tell me a little bit about Authentic. These days, just like it seems like everything is, I want to be rich, I want to be famous. I, I miss the authentic of what people were back in the 60s, the music that was created that kids still listen to today. Everybody did who they were, and they didn't try to be somebody else, or they didn't have to uh, get on Instagram and you know do all that kind of stuff. They could be who they were. And so Authentic kind of came out of, I found an old guitar from the 1920s, an old Martin that was really beat up. And a friend of mine who's a luthier took three years to put it back together again. And so this is somebody who works with their hands. It was built, there were only 40 of them built that year. Now Martin builds 40 of them in an hour. And so to me, that kind of started the authentic thing of what's real, what really moves people. Take God, for example. It's like, um, no matter what happens, it is what it is. And that's what authentic is to me. You know, you can't fabricate things. You can, 
You can turn out things really fast, but are they real? Are they made well? And we need that today. We need that today. Things burn out so fast, you know. I had a guy come on over here working on my refrigerator, and it's like 30-something years old, and he said, back then they made them different. Now they all have these little things that if the electricity goes out, it blows everything up. That's because they want it to be replaced quickly. So it's not, I've got a refrigerator out in the garage that's 70 years old that never goes out. You know, it's authentic. It was built real. And so that's what the whole album was about. And um, the one song on there was a song called Faith Stronger Than Fear. And it was written when the Oklahoma bombing happened. And I was writing with Garth that day, and he got the call that his mom said, they blew out the windows in my house seven miles away. And so he's like, I got to leave. And so I wrote this song hoping he would record it, but um, it's just no matter what happens, you got to have that faith that's stronger than fear because that's what keeps you going when everything looks like it's at its worst. It's like, I'm going to keep going. What else choice do you have? So many people give up, but you know, you just got to have that faith that things are going to be better. And I'm living proof of that after what I went through with my wife, you know. Ken, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your heart, your faith, and I know God is going to do amazing things through your life. He already has. Thank you. My, and you're amazing too. Well, thank, thank you. you. My friend, if tomorrow doesn't come, I want you to know today that Jesus died for your sins to give you eternal life. He wants that relationship with you. Trust Him so that you can share your faith with others that will give Him honor and glory. This is Today's Nashville. This is Faith. Do you have a question or comment about today's podcast or want to check out the latest television episode? You can find me, Terry Squires, and all of my guests at todaysnashville.com. Cornerstone Television wishes to thank all our faithful viewers whose consistent prayers and financial support have made this program possible.